Everyone on the internet is looking for the secret to surpassing $1 million in annual revenue. The reality though, is that less than 4% of businesses will surpass that million dollar mark. So what's this 4% secret? In this episode of Bootstrappers, we are going to find out. Today, we'll give you three simple keys to grow your business past $1 million per year. One of those business owners is with me right now, Matt Tompkins. He is filling in for Gwen Aspen, our otherwise co-host. That's right. I'm not just a podcast producer. I'm also a client. (laughs) So, so, I always wanted to do that. Yeah, well, you did it. We'll put some noise on it, make it look really funny and cute. Um, So you want to get to a million dollars. Like that's a first, let me just go back and say, Uh, We talk about the EO, uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, a little bit. And one of their thresholds in the state of Nebraska is that the company has to have, I think it's a revenue of $1 million. And so you want to be able to present your information to them, know that you have revenue of a million dollars, so that, and your bank wants to know it, you want to have at least a million dollars so you can earn a living, things like that. But what does it take to get there? Now, I know you're kind of in that realm where you're, I'm like super close. Like we could close out this year hitting that mark. And that's our goal. It could, it could happen. I mean, I'm not going to discount our success because I've doubted myself before. And then like you, you surpass these goals you set for yourself that you thought were impossible. So you got to start reimagining what is possible, you know? And so I I think anything is possible at this point, but we had to do that. We had to hit like 500,000 was the threshold which uh, we ended up right at like, you know, 800 for the years where we would project if we don't add any new revenue or clients. Um, and so it's a pretty eye-opening figure. And I'm glad I paid a bookkeeper because I probably wouldn't know that had we not hired somebody. Yeah, well, and that's you know? one of those things that maybe we need to talk about a little bit. Uh, and that's the the financials. Because, um, you know, I've got a couple of secrets. You know, we're, we're pretty well past the million dollar mark by uh, several years. As a matter of fact, we're again in Inc. 5000's mm-hmm. um, top. Yeah, you guys are what, 1222? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah or something. Uh, uh, yeah. Don't act like you don't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah so I don't know. I don't it's know. a good number, whatever it was. But I mean, yeah. it's to be in the top 5,000 of the fastest, largest companies in the United States. It's a big deal. Yeah. Is, is a big deal. Um, and so, you know, the things that um, I try to advise people is uh, kind of as a baseline, if you have any corporate experience at all, remember all the stuff that you hated about it and do it mm-hmm. like that not and maybe not all of it i mean part of the reason you're in doing your own business is because it's not corporate yeah but the ideas the efficiencies that you know our bosses back in the day were actually trying to Those bring t- to bear tps reports yeah yeah, yeah or yeah. or uh any sheets, of those yeah, stupid yeah, reports those. right there, you start to find out that if you build your processes and procedures to have a little bit more of a corporate feel, mm. then it's a pretty good indication that you're on the right track because in order for you to scale your business to get to the point where you can get to a million dollars, you need to reduce the busy work. Mm-hmm. And to reduce the busy work, you need to make sure you have streamlined processes, right? And I, I agree with that 100%. I, when we started out, it was October 1st of 2020, still in the pandemic. I turned down my two-year radio contract I renewal. Remember, yeah. And you you and Gwen doing this podcast here were my first and only video podcast client. And I had that in a nonprofit I did work for for a few years. And so I was making about 40 grand a year. I mean, to look back and add that up and see like, okay, we're like 18X growth. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. But I'm looking at these things here. 
like how to make a million dollars, how to get to that million dollar a year threshold, it feels impossible. I think once you eclipse that, you probably, I mean, I haven't eclipsed it quite yet, but you have, you know, you can probably figure some things out and kind of rinse and repeat to make more and more and more, which is exciting, that's encouraging. But getting to that first million is the daunting part. Only 4% of all businesses make it to that million dollar a year I revenue no mark. Idea. No I learned that today in my EO Nebraska accelerator. That was the first thing they said. So they're like, if you actually want to get to these goals, you are in, you're a four percenter, you know? Oh, that's a pretty good number. Yeah. So that's like, where you want to be for starters. Yes. Then you inch your way up to that one percent mark. And and initially I was afraid because fifty one percent of all businesses fail in their first three to five years. Yeah. And that's a state in our state of Nebraska where we're at and nationwide it aligns. So you don't want to be that number, but then let's take it a step further and say, okay, I don't just want to survive. Like I want to, I want to surpass my wildest imagination, uh, a dream of a, of a place or an accomplishment I'd never thought possible. You know, uh, we have seven full-time employees here and I never thought that would happen. A year and a half ago, I was like sitting by myself in a basement, in my basement, my wife's basement, let's be honest. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible what you can accomplish in a short amount of time. So as we talk about how to make a million dollars in your first year or in a year, a year, it's possible. I got to imagine that those people that are kind of on the fence where they're still working for a company and they're kind of, they've got their side hustle going and they're thinking about, you know, you know, they're waiting to make sure that they have the security of having enough business in this side hustle to be able to make it on their own. Um, that probably isn't going to happen because if you're dedicating eight hours your day to mm -hmm. in any responsible way to a boss, then the, that you might have the energy to be able to bring another company about to the point where it's comfortable is a pipe dream. You have to take a leap and you have to build the plane on the way down. Most of the time, rarely does it go right. Rarely, rarely are you like gifted a 747 to just take off from that cliff uh, with, you know, yeah. like you're just jumping and you're hoping and you're making stuff up and you're grasping for things to assemble some resemblance of an airplane to get yourself out of this, you know, high speed crash you're now committed to. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, as you look at it, I look at some of the fundamentals. We were fortunate enough to have you and Gwen. I mean, I really credit a credit those Waska Wee Wabbits. <laughs> I credit you and Gwen entering my immediate circle with some uh, of the major shifts in my life because no longer was I hanging around lowlifes and literal drug dealers <laughs> uh, and people in radio who were just sad and miserable and depressed. Now I was hanging out with people who had, they'd been there, done that. They were aspiring to do more. And, you know, I think, you know, Gwen has been, has been a mentor to me, especially saying, yeah, I'll kind of show you how EOS works, you know, and traction. And then listening to your podcast as I was producing it for years, I'm like, oh, okay. And taking notes every, every episode. And so uh, having that in my life was a big influence. And then applying some of these basic things that we we're going to talk about today on the, on the podcast that can actually make the biggest impact. And there's really like three areas I think that are like most critical. Oh, do tell. Critical. Do tell. So accountability for leadership. Okay. So like, I think we always think of accountability as, okay, I'm going to hold my employees accountable. They're going to get their work done. You know, we're going to have rigid structure, micromanage, <laughs> but which I hate. Oh. And, and it doesn't work. No, it does yeah. not work. Um, it doesn't work for scaling. All right. Who's holding the leadership accountable, right? Who's saying, hey, you know, you're the CEO. You need to show up to this meeting on time. You need to put in the work. You don't just to get to do all the other fun stuff. You got to do the boring stuff. Mm. You know, I quote you and you are on our podcast all the time. I'm like, 
it's the, you have to bleep this. It's the boring shit in business that matters the most <laughs> that nobody wants to do. Nobody right? wants to do yeah. it. Yeah. And in property management, you know, everybody wants to get out there and sell and do the owners want to transact business while, but in the meantime, they've got to go back to the office at night and do all the little detailed shit beep, that mm. just yeah. isn't the sexy part that they, they thought that owning a business was going to be. Have you, are you able to, in a matter of minutes or in a conversation, detect whether or not somebody has what it takes to become what they are proclaiming to be. And by that, I mean, there are those people who go out there, they start talking the talk. Yeah, 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 I'm a success. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm a millionaire. I'm this, I got this, this, this. And you know, they're kind of full of it, right? Um, well, but yeah. like ha within the business world though, those who are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, Entrepreneur. you know, can you tell the difference with your experience? I think uh, very, most certainly yes. Now, I can't say for sure, but I do have a couple little tricks that I identify. Like what are the I'm red? I want to know what the, like the spidey sense, what triggers so it. One of them is like, if I'm like, say it's a vendor and mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out whether or not this vendor is going to be worth um, hiring. Matter of fact, this happened yesterday, two days ago, two days ago, it was software. And uh, one of the things I throw out there is I always push them on price a little bit. And to the degree that they're willing to reduce their pricing is the degree that I understand they're not confident in their product and which means also their procedures. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily bad when I win at a negotiation like that, but if I'm up against a tough cookie, then you kind of in intuitively understand, and maybe it's not intuitive, but it is for me at this point, understand that, okay, they really know what they're worth. Yeah. And that, that means a lot. I think you can pick up on little things. There's a quote I thought was cheesy at the time, but I really like now, and that is, how you do anything is how you do everything. In other words, how you do the littlest thing, you know, like whether or not you're gonna pick up that piece of trash you just dropped or keep walking, it actually is going to define the big things, whether or not you're capable of being a billionaire success story or not, you know? And I feel like accountability, uh, the reason for, that I, for leadership and then with your team, having like those processes and procedures, your, your SOPs, standard operating procedures, I never really bought into them right away and they seem like a lot of work. And I remember making checklists on Google Docs and I'm like, oh my God, this is like yeah. exhausting. And it's just me at the time, right? It's just me. And I'm like, this just sucks. Like, why am I doing this for myself? But now, because Gwen said so. Because yeah, Gwen and Jeremy said so in this latest episode. I got to do it. Um, but now I look at it. I'm like, oh, this is okay. This makes total sense. Like, we got a team. We're trying to scale. We're trying to build. You have to have all of these things in place, or you can't. Then you can see the cracks start to form in your operations when you don't have things shored up. And so we're now very self-aware because we weren't by no means perfect. It, not probably not anywhere close. But like, we can see. Okay, this is a weak point there's a weak spot here. We need to shore this up. We should be able to hand this off to this person and do this and this. And, and so what do we need to do to get it there? That's what I mean by accountability. It's, it's the boring things that are not exciting. They aren't sexy. They aren't going to make you a bunch of money. It's not closing a sale, you know, like your, your first month, uh, out as a, uh, you know, self-proclaimed business owner. Um, but it's protecting your client from seeing an idiot. Yes. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you, you make these dumb little mistakes, and you don't get many before a client identifies you or tags you as, you know, on their watch list, yep. flagging you. Have you ever made that mistake with a client where like you didn't, you took a different approach 
and it was a misfire and now you're stuck with this impression with him that maybe isn't who you really are no, no? I, I mean not re not in recent i mean like i got you were starting out like I mean, yeah i i i'm sure th that i did that like but trying too hard jeremy that's what i want that's who i want to meet i don't know that trying I did. too hard jeremy i i've always <laughs> taken a real steady kind of yeah. corporate approach at it so i was always pretty weary about people that overcommitted. Okay. well i mean one of my go-to's is you know, uh, under commit over promise, mm -hmm. uh, over under promise, over, over deliver, over deliver. There you go. Yeah. Don't think about that one very often. Anymore. Sometimes but you need yeah. a friend to help you deliver uh, the actual quote. Another you know? one is though. That's right. Uh, <laughs> another one that I do is like when I was in the property management trust, when I was managing trust accounts, I did not let a penny not know. I did not, I knew where every single penny was. And I would, I remember one weekend I spent, um, days on three cents. And mm. it wasn't three cents. It was a thousand dollars, and another one that was another two, three transactions that equaled nine hundred ninety-nine dollars and ninety-seven cents. So it was, it, but it's to that that point you make of just doing the little things yeah. because those are those it, little things end up being what gets scaled. Yeah. Any flaws that you have in your system, it's just going to get large. Scale. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another one for for your point about accountability. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or talked to, to you about it, but. Who's got the monkey? Okay. Uh, the Harvard Business Review's most reprinted article is called "Who's Got the Monkey," and essentially what it says is, it, you you imagine yourself as having a monkey, like you have mm -hmm. an idea or a task that you need to accomplish. In order for you to make sure that this task is going to go forward, imagine yourself giving the monkey to somebody else, mm -hmm. and then you need to make sure that they can nurture it, take care of it, and then you make sure you have the monkey yeah so then that's the transfer of the responsibility to somebody else because it's all too often that you just like you you come up with this idea and you imagine that they got the gist of it and mm -hmm. then they're probably going to do something with it that is almost never true i remember you talked about how you and and gwen both like did every position big and small at your company at some point so you know exactly okay, what can I expect from other people, you know, because uh, I've done this work myself now. And so I remember when I was starting out, I kept that in mind. It was just me when I was starting this, this company here. And um, I would have that same, this, this breaking point I would reach where I did so much video editing one week. It was like 18 hours in one day straight. And I was exhausted and I turned to my wife. I said, this is not fun anymore. Like, this is just not fun. Because I had to let an employee go. He's the only kid working for me. And thankfully, like Myerden stepped up, other friends helped me in this kind of transitional period, but I was just beat to the ground. I couldn't take it anymore. It was like three weeks of this. And now I look back on that and I'm like, thank God I started putting together those checklists. Yeah, because right. Because there's no way I would have been able to, you know, we use Sweet Process now, which is just a fancier version of a Word doc or a Google doc. It's a checklist. That's what it's it a checklist. is. And being able to hand that off, now I don't do any of the video editing. So now I'm as the in that visionary and integrator role, I'm focused on how do I get us new business? How do I move the business yeah. forward? How do I, you know, and that's what I feel like I was really meant and designed to do okay. in that role, right? And and do that for this company as opposed to being bogged down See, with the editing. It's you know? funny, Mo normally people that have that kind of a role have a better personality. Oh, well, it's the good looks that, and the voice that make <laughs> okay, up for it. It depends okay, on which medium you're listening or viewing <laughs> yeah. this podcast. If it's audio only, it's this lovely, <laughs> lovely voice. This video is this face. Um, the other one, uh, money. So, yeah, so money, financials was number two after accountability. Be smart with your money. Uh, that's easier said than done. Um, 
I think part of this is like being not reinventing the wheel, but like being open to new ideas, new ways of doing things, new technologies, not overdoing it. Like a lot of people are with AI today, where it's just yeah. oh, all of AI do everything, which is not a good idea, no. but not using it at all is an equally bad, bad idea. idea. You know, um, we have three full-time Anaquim uh, remote professionals who work for us today. And so we had to kind of rethink the definition of what is an employee? What is a member of our team? What does that look like? You know, and I think I, I wouldn't say I had any sort of prejudice. It was just I was not I was just uninitiated. Right. I just didn't know. Yeah. I didn't, how am I going to do this where I got to like manage a remote person who's in Mexico? Like, yeah, they're super nice. They speak English, but I'm not good at this, like management stuff. Right. And it took I mean, it took a lot of work to like get used to it and just. But I'll tell you this. It has pushed our business across the board with all of our in-person personnel to level. I don't think we ever would have seen had we not had remote professionals because we had to get those processes and procedures, checklists, all these things in place. Yeah. All of a sudden, we have to do daily huddles. We can't just not talk to each other <laughs> to each other all day long. We have and to then meet. become part of the team. Yeah, because they need to know what they did right, what they did wrong. We got to have metrics. So, okay, well, then now we got to commit to a system. So then it's traction. It's EOS. It's using 90.io. It's all these different things we wouldn't have done if not for having remote professionals. And they're all amazing, by the way. Like, I mean, they, they're, they they're, really, yeah. they become part of your team. I mean, they yeah. become part of your daily family. And they love it just as much as we do. I mean, I'm, we interviewed them uh, just to get their perspective for Anaquim here and for some content we did. And it was really kind of heartwarming just to hear like, oh my God, like they really, they really love us. Like, you know, like well, my own friends in the United States don't like me this one, much. Yeah, I can you know? attest to yeah, that. Yeah. The uh, virtue, the virtue, uh, the, the thing I don't like about the word virtual assistant is that immediately when people go into this, and especially a couple of years ago, they presume that they, there's almost this understanding that they're not real people. Like they're almost a widget filling less a than. spot. It's like less they're than. Less than. Less than. Yeah, that, yeah. And what after you start to work with them for a while, they become like you care about their yeah. kids in school. You mm -hmm. care about, oh, their mom's sick. I mean, you find all this stuff out and you realize that these borders that we've been working behind all mm -hmm. these years um, are, are, are fictions. There's yeah. no reason you can't adore and love somebody in another country um, at all, mm -hmm. because especially with today's technology, you can see them, you can talk yeah. to them. It's regular. It's just, it's, I prefer video chats with people who are here in my own city, let alone like, you know, you yeah, know I mean, it's up. so much easier. It's yeah. just, it has become more functional. Obviously the pandemic kind of sped that up, that process up, but then the, the financial side too. I mean, let's be honest, they're making a good living where they're at in their country. Uh, Working for we, somebody who's not an uh, yeah who's not a jerk who appreciates them gives them freedom an opportunity for advancement that they wouldn't otherwise have, and here in the United States we're saving up to sixty percent on our payroll costs sixty percent I think we think save how about right now if you don't have a professional on your team You're you are wasting you are spending sixty percent more than you have to because I can tell you firsthand they can do anything that a person who works at a computer in your office can do. And that's just the bottom line. They can't, their it's quality It's a global work, world. Yeah, it is. That's redundant. <laughs> <laughs> so the third thing is, uh, is, is have a plan for your business. And I would add, especially for your marketing. Let me, let me step back real sec on the financial side, because okay. that's where people have, most people I think have a, have a big problem because it's not as intuitive as people think. But if you're a business owner looking to get into it, 
Um, I would just get down your payables and receivables. Do, uh, and when I say sit down, do it, like do it like you did with mm -hmm. your editing and just figure out what it means to have, a de have to depreciate stuff. Understand yeah. that you get an invoice, you put it in the system, you type in all the details, you set it up for a due date, you pay it by its due date, print the check, is and you're 26% done. 26% interest rate on a credit card good? I don't know, I hope, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm no, I, I'm no <laughs> I'm financial advisor, I'm not, but I'm, not I'm that bad. say <laughs> no. not, not good. Yeah, but like QuickBooks makes it easy, but even QuickBooks, just take some time. Gwen mentioned that, she's like, why don't you and Ben just take an hour a week exactly. and learn something? Like our uncle, he's a CFO like you are for a company. He's very successful. Like call him, ask him, hey, yeah, Uncle Don, you wanna you wanna teach me how to use QuickBooks? Like I'll buy you dinner. Like people will help if you ask. Absolutely. If, if you set aside the time, which you have, I don't buy into the fact that business owners don't have enough time to do things like this. Um, when I see their screen time and how much time they spend on social media oh, yeah. every yeah, yeah. week, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the financials, like, is there any other like key tip, uh, with financials that, that you see, uh, that is the difference maker, not just in not failing, but like in really accelerating to yeah, that million so dollar mark. The thing that I think everybody needs to do that'll make their life way easier is that make sure that all the inputs become the outputs. So if you, if you, uh, charge by time, by an hourly rate, make sure you have a ticketing system that tracks the hours. That you that automatically go into the financial system that runs a, a, a formula that creates an invoice that sets that sends it automatically to the client and is probably connected to uh, some electronic way of receiving the money. Those workflows mm -hmm. from from work to money need to all stay connected. And yeah. if you accomplish that, like we invoice a couple million dollars a week. Um, and or about a million dollars. Humble brag, yeah, jeez. Uh, oh, and it's really hard. You know how long it takes us to invoice? Yeah. It takes I us don't. about seventeen minutes. The anxiety, I can't imagine. Like the anxiety of like you automate yeah. things, and it makes yeah. things. I guess so that's true. But that's what you're talking about here: automation, automation. like workflows. We do that with the, the, our marketing that we do for Anacom and other clients, where it's like, okay, we're gonna automate this workflow. So even if it's a person who does it, there's still a workflow. You the know? time you spend as a business owner setting up automations is time in the future mm -hmm. multiplied by real numbers that you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Automation isn't for companies to set up after they're up and running. Automation is for small companies to figure out first so they have the time and resource to be able to grow. And I would argue that with that is one advantage of AI for small businesses in particular is that it does level the playing field to a degree because a lot of these tools that we have today, um, they really make it possible to do some of those big scale automations and projects. I mean, you know, you look at like um, some of the marketing software that we use for this AI uh, platform, jasper.ai is one that we use. So do we ever use it for a finished product we send out? No, but if we wanna say, hey, Jasper, I want you to take this transcript and then here's the workflow. You're gonna turn it into a blog article, rough draft, We'll take it from there, then create a LinkedIn post. We'll take it from there, then create a Facebook post. We'll take it from there, then create seven tweets. We'll take it from there. You know, like that's a workflow, right? That's a workflow. And it's creating a rough draft, but it's saving us like seven, eight hours per episode that we're doing this. Jesus. Um, yeah. So how do you, so marketing to me, I think is is the most important part or most essential part of growing says your business. Says the marketer. Says the marketing guy. But hear me out because I feel like you cannot grow your business if you aren't being discovered. If you don't have new customers, 
you, you won't have customers, period. I mean, any way that somebody found you out, it's marketing. Your grandma told a friend, that's referral marketing. You know, I mean, if you have word of mouth, that's just uh, people, people spreading the word. Like, oh, just, I went to some networking meetings, cold calling, that's, that's outbound marketing. I mean, there's so many different types of marketing. I think people, sales is a part of your marketing. Marketing is just getting people who, to discover you, what you do, and then building trust with them so that they come back. And you can't grow your business, you can't build a business without marketing, without effective marketing. No, you know? right. Yeah, I, I'm more of an ops first guy. Um, but there's everybody you need a balance it. of both. You, I agree. You got to yeah, have yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're first starting out, you end up going to these events and you start, you know, uh, uh, networking with people and bringing business on little by little. But it, what starts to happen is you start getting so bogged down in the operation because you haven't automated it yet that then mm. you stop having time for all that. Yeah. You start working on these, what are you would consider like dumb little details that are taken away from your time to actually do the marketing. So yeah. marketing, I think is, a uh, a trailing indicator of you being able to handle the business. And, and tell me if you, if you agree with this, I think with anything that you do, especially in your, like your first years as a business owner, you're going to those networking groups and you're trying to build out your automations and figure things out. You really should evaluate for every minute, every hour that I, that you put into something, what are you actually getting out of it? Because time is this, this, this commodity you don't get more of. You know, it's more valuable than anything. And people say, oh, social media, it's free marketing. No, it's not. You spend how much time on social media as a business owner managing how many accounts? That is far from free. And I would challenge you to say, okay, you're spending 10 hours a week posting stuff on social media. How many leads, how many new business leads did you get from all those accounts you spent 10 hours on versus if you just sat down and started calling random people and cold calling people yeah. and just saying, hey, how's it going? I want to introduce myself and have a real conversation uh, with a, another person. And you spent 10 hours cold calling, I guarantee you would have at least four or five, six or more closed deals, not just leads, but people who are doing business with you now. So I would challenge that. That's the big challenge. Like with automation, you can spend too much time there. Marketing, oh, you can absolutely. spend too much time there. Yeah. And so for every hour, what are you getting out of return? And, and if you know that and you can measure that, that's how you get to and a million you, dollars a year. Even if you build, even if you ballpark it, mm -hmm. um, like so. For instance, before I take on a project, I try to figure out about how much savings you know putting we're going to have if this if this comes to fruition, and then I multiply it by two, and then I find out okay, is this going to be worth it? If I, if it pays for itself mm -hmm. in two years, rather then then this is a project worth doing, and I can do it right now. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there's little dumb little things like canceling all your five dollar ninety nine cent uh, charges on uh, the Apple Store. Networking groups. I have there's a, a young man here. He's a talented individual just starting out. I keep telling him, stop going to your networking group meeting because he's going to the same group, same people. There's not a decision maker in this group, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's two hours out of his week. And I'm like, he today he was doing a photo shoot or the other day for us, and the same client ended up booking him for a bunch of headshots. I'm like, see, that's how you get new business. Yeah. Right? It's by finding people who actually are seeking your services. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> in your networking group, they're seeking you to hire them for their services, not the other way around. So I'm just saying it's not a knock on networking groups, but just be aware of your surroundings and realize that, like, okay, if I take four hours and I dedicate it to this process or this thing or building this cabinet for my tool shed for my uh, my new mechanic garage, is it going to actually pay off? Is there a return on it? Or am I really just doing it for myself mm -hmm. for, for some other reason? 
Well, yeah. So I think my final, my parting words for somebody listening to this, my thoughts are mm-hmm. to address everything as if though you're building a corporation. Yeah. Make it feel some sort of like a corporate background. And that's how you get for starters to a million dollars a year. It's kind of like people who like they wear a suit and tie, even though they're broke and they're like, you know, fake it till you fake make it. Fake it till you make it. You know, I mean, God, I can't tell you how many years I did that, uh, you know, in radio <laughs> to show up and they thought that I knew what I was doing. I did. For years. I thought you knew what you were doing. For 1110 KVB, this is no joke. For a full week, I read the previous Friday's market report for the hogs and cows and corn and everything every morning at 5.15 a.m. Every day for five straight days because I was filling in for their morning show producer. Nobody said a thing until some guy called on Friday. Like, I think you're reading the old report. (laughs) (laughs) So, man, you can get away with, with a lot if you do it with confidence, you know. But it's like when you start walking the walk, as like bad as that sounds, it forces you to, I don't know, envision yourself in that role that like, okay, I can do this. I am this. Who cares if I don't have everything that I'm supposed to have and I'm not perfect? I'm going for it, right? Getting it done. Yeah. If you're interested in having more than a lifestyle business and you've got to deploy some of these things with accountability, you know, being smart with your money and having a plan Mm -hmm. for your business and having a legitimate marketing plan or you're never going to get to a million dollars. Getting your business to the next stage starts with little changes you can implement today. One of those things is how you approach meetings. Most people hate meetings and for very good reason. Most meetings suck and are a complete waste of time. But you could transform your meetings today when you download our free reusable meetings form. This free PDF is guaranteed to help you shorten meetings, make them way more effective and productive, and turn them into accountability your business needs to be able to get to that $1 million revenue goal. Download the reusable meetings form for free now. The link is in the show notes for today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. That's a wrap.